It's the most abundant material in the universe. It comprises the majority of the sun. And now, some people think it could be the solution to decarbonizing energy systems. Ladies and gentle people, welcome to the future, powered by hydrogen. You might have heard a lot about hydrogen recently. Maybe in the announcement of the government of Alberta's hydrogen roadmap, or the hydrogen strategy from the government of Canada, or maybe from one of the many international, corporate, or utilities and their plans for hydrogen energy. For some, hydrogen is the key to green energy and moving away from fossil fuels, a critical part of the fight against the climate crisis. But what is this miracle atom? And is it as important as these strategies are making it out to be? This week on Terra Informa, we take a deep dive on what hydrogen technology is, and whether or not it really is the silver bullet to reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. So, dear listeners, grab your notepads and settle into your desks. It's Hydrogen 101. From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening to Terra Hello listeners, welcome to the show. My name is Sonic Patel, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news and storytelling. This week's episode is all about the big H, hydrogen. But before we start the show, we would like to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional landowners and indigenous history, as well as future, of the places where we create the show. The show was written in Treaty 7 territory, the traditional territories of the Nitsitapi from the Blackfoot Confederacy, including the Siksiga, Bigani, and Gaina nations. The IRA Nakoda of the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley nations, and the Dene of the Sutna nation. Southern Alberta is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. At the confluence of the Bow and Elbow Rivers, this site was called Mokinstis by the Blackfoot, and is more recently called the City of Calgary. This episode was produced in Treaty 6 territory, in a Miskwichi, Wiskigan, Beaver Hills House, or so-called Edmonton. We are broadcasting from unrecognized Papaschase Cree territory. The Papaschase Cree were displaced following consistent efforts from local officials, like Frank Oliver, to discredit the legitimacy of their treaty right to this territory, and to reserve number 136, now South Edmonton. Not confined to history, this region is also the present homelands of many First Peoples, who build their lives here, pursue livelihoods, and gather together, including Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, and Dene. Wherever you're listening from, we ask you to consider whose version of history informs your understanding of the land you are on. This week, we're covering hydrogen, 
the element that's increasingly being considered for decarbonization and climate action. You've probably heard of hydrogen before. After all, it is the first element in the periodic table. The simple atom, in its most common form, consists of one proton and one electron. As such, it's the lightest element. Hydrogen is also the most abundant element in the universe, roughly three quarters of all known matter. And that's no surprise when you think about the size of our sun and all the other stars in the sky, which are mostly comprised of hydrogen. On Earth, hydrogen comprises two-thirds of the substance that covers most of the planet, water, and is also in some organic compounds. But these molecules are not what's getting people excited about the importance of hydrogen for climate action. Instead, they're talking about hydrogen gas, the diatomic molecule that forms when two hydrogen atoms pair together. Hydrogen gas is colorless, tasteless, odorless, and non-toxic. Hydrogen gas was first recognized in 1776 by Robert Cavendish and named hydrogen in 1783 by Antony Lavoisier. Hydrogen, with the hydro being Greek for water, and the gen for genus, which is Greek for before, so before water. This name references a critical chemical detail about hydrogen gas. When it burns, it produces water. And when hydrogen burns, it burns. As you might have known, if you remember the Hindenburg airship disaster, or at least the phrase, oh, the humanity, which doesn't actually make any sense, but I digress. The Hindenburg airship was destroyed in a mid-air fire, speculated to be because of the ignition of leaked hydrogen gas. The widely publicized disaster marked the end of commercial hydrogen travel, which had been quite popular in the first half of the century. But now, some want to capitalize on this explosive potential as part of the climate action effort. The main benefit of doing so? Well, it's in the name. When hydrogen is burned, it produces just water unlike fossil fuels, which burn to produce carbon dioxide, the same carbon dioxide that is causing the greenhouse effect and associated climate crisis. Proponents of the hydrogen economy believe that hydrogen gas can replace fossil fuels in moving us, heating our homes, and balancing our electricity supply. Hydrogen can be used in a car, but the only tailpipe emissions would be water. And unlike electric vehicles, hydrogen vehicles don't have the same challenges, like the time needed to recharge a battery, the capacity loss over time, and challenges in extreme cold. Compared to fossil fuel internal combustion engine vehicles, hydrogen vehicles also don't produce air pollution, like particulate matter, sulfur and nitrogen oxides, and ozone. These chemicals have huge negative impacts on public health, resulting in substantial mortality and morbidity, especially for people and neighborhoods in high traffic areas. 
Hydrogen could also supplement or replace natural gas for heating homes. Another prospective big win is in electricity, where hydrogen can fill a critical gap in energy generation. One big problem with some types of renewable energy, like wind and solar, is that they are intermittent, which means when they produce electricity is beyond our control. Solar produces more when the sun is shining, while wind produces more when wind speeds are high. But intermittency means that when we need electricity, and when electricity is being produced, could be at different times, possibly resulting in periods of over or under supply. But hydrogen, like fossil fuels, can be burned at any time, allowing us to ensure there is power when people need it. And unlike fossil fuels, like coal and natural gas that are currently a big part of our energy system, Hydrogen comes without a carbon footprint. Between these three uses alone, hydrogen could target some of our highest carbon sectors and make a big dent in greenhouse gas emissions. Beyond that, there is also potential for hydrogen in industry applications, as it can be used as a fuel stock for industrial processes and can reduce emissions from sectors like steel and cement production. On top of that, hydrogen stores more energy by weight than fossil fuels. One kilogram of hydrogen has the same amount of energy as almost three kilograms of gasoline. The potential for a hydrogen economy inspired the province of Alberta to release their hydrogen roadmap. This document will guide the future of the hydrogen industry in the province, justifying the attention and investment in the sector. The document suggests that hydrogen could provide 24% of global energy demand by mid-century. Putting dollars to atoms, the document estimates the sale of hydrogen could exceed $700 billion US. That's 11 zeros and 1-7. The government of Alberta thinks the province is in a perfect spot to get our piece of the hydrogen pie. After all, Alberta is Canada's largest producer of hydrogen and has nearly half a century of experience in producing hydrogen gas. Additionally, the cost of production in Alberta is below the global average for most types of hydrogen production potentially providing a competitive advantage. The hydrogen economy is proposed as an opportunity for the province, creating tens of thousands of jobs and potentially billions of dollars in economic activity in both the construction and operation stages of developing our hydrogen sector. Wow, that's a lot of economy. The document also highlights the benefits of emissions reduction. The roadmap calls hydrogen a, quote, clean energy, meaning it is produced with minimal emissions, end quote. Modeling a scenario for wide integration of hydrogen into Alberta's energy system shows that emissions could be reduced by 5% from 2019 levels by 2030. 
Not only does the document suggest hydrogen production in the province could meet local goals, but also suggests that exporting hydrogen to global markets could be a big economic opportunity. International demand for clean hydrogen could reach over 40 million tons by 2050. Hydrogen export could be done by blending hydrogen into our existing pipeline networks, increasing the value and lifespan of these physical assets. International export can also be supported by liquid hydrogen carrier ships. Additionally, there may be markets for the sale of ammonia, or nitrogen trihydride. This liquid substance can act as a hydrogen carrier, making it easier to transport and store, and can be converted back into hydrogen gas for energy use. Alberta isn't the only one with big plans for the little atom. Natural Resources Canada also released their hydrogen strategy for the federal government. Also incentivized by the global uptick in hydrogen being considered for future energy systems, the Government of Canada is seeking to capitalize on Canadian expertise, like our fuel cell technology. Historically, Canada has been a leader in hydrogen. The country was the location of the first patent for hydrogen production using electrolysis, a method we'll get to shortly. The deployment of the first industrial-scale production of hydrogen in the 1920s, and the first demonstration of a fuel cell bus in the 1990s. And just like the Alberta roadmap, the federal government also sees benefits in economics, employment, and emissions reduction. The strategy suggests that the hydrogen market could provide $50 billion per year by 2050 and over 300,000 jobs. The strategy also referenced the commitments the country has made to reducing our emissions, including being net zero by 2050. The strategy claims this future is powered by electricity and, quote, low carbon fuels, end quote of which hydrogen is purported to be the lowest. By 2050, if hydrogen reaches the proposed 30% of delivered energy, it could abate up to 190 megatons of carbon dioxide equivalent. Canada is currently a hydrogen production leader, top 10 in the world. By 2030, the strategy envisions the country as a top three global clean hydrogen producer. The speculation for global demand for hydrogen is not unfounded. Several countries have adopted hydrogen strategies, like France, Germany, Japan, Australia, and South Korea. Major energy companies like Shell and BP have come forward with hydrogen plans and projects seemingly aligning with the vision of hydrogen replacing fossil fuels. According to the Hydrogen Council, an industry-led initiative of leading companies, 18 governments have developed national hydrogen strategies, together accounting for over 70% of global GDP.
And on the surface, this seems like great news. Hydrogen is seemingly a high-potential energy source that can decarbonize our highest-emitting sectors. But is hydrogen really the atomic silver bullet for our climate action work? After the break, we take a deeper look at the viability of the future hydrogen economy. You're listening to Terra Informa, a production of CJSR 88.5 FM. Welcome back to the show. This week, we're talking hydrogen. This simple atom is increasingly being considered a critical part of climate action efforts and a net zero economy. Before the break, we highlighted why. As hydrogen is a fuel that produces only water and no carbon, when it burns. This makes hydrogen an excellent option to replace fossil fuels in our future energy systems, with opportunities to use it for transportation, heating, electricity generation, and industrial applications. But for all the importance laid on hydrogen in global strategies, there are several challenges to a net zero future reliant on hydrogen. One of the big ones comes from how hydrogen is produced. It might be the most abundant material in the universe, but isolating hydrogen gas requires specific methods. There are three prominent forms of hydrogen production, all colorfully named. One way is through electrolysis, or the process of using electricity to break down a substance, in this case water, which is broken down into hydrogen gas and oxygen. This hydrogen can then be captured. When this electricity is produced from renewable sources, the product is called green hydrogen, so-called because there are no emissions produced in the process. But this is not true of all forms of hydrogen production. Gray hydrogen is produced by reacting methane and steam at high temperatures. The resulting products are hydrogen gas and carbon dioxide. Not only does this process produce a greenhouse gas, it produces it at a very high rate. For every one kilogram of hydrogen gas produced, This process produces 10 kilograms of carbon dioxide. The majority, over 90%, of hydrogen produced globally right now is gray, contributing to global warming effects. Hydrogen production results in the creation of 830 million tons of greenhouse gas a year. Due to the use of coal, for hydrogen production in some countries. But there is one more color we need to be talking about. Blue hydrogen. This form of hydrogen is produced the same way as gray hydrogen, using methane and steam, with carbon dioxide as a byproduct. However, for hydrogen to be blue, this carbon dioxide needs to be abated through carbon capture and storage techniques. 
preventing this carbon from reaching the atmosphere. Blue hydrogen is very important to talk about, since the government of Alberta and Canada both see blue hydrogen as a valid form of hydrogen production in a clean energy future. In Alberta, the cost of producing blue hydrogen is significantly less than green hydrogen. But more importantly, Alberta's cost competitiveness is only present for gray and blue hydrogens, with green hydrogen costs being above the global average. Similarly, at the national scale, gray hydrogen is considered lowest cost, followed by blue. Green hydrogen is the highest cost method of production. Internationally, the average cost for blue hydrogen also falls below green hydrogen. The costs of green hydrogen are so high because the energy requirements are very intensive, meaning we need a lot of electricity for the process of electrolysis. But what's the problem if both blue and green methods are net zero? Well, both methods are not net zero. You might have noticed some clever wording in the descriptions of blue hydrogen in the Alberta Roadmap and Natural Resources Canada's strategy. For example, Alberta describes blue hydrogen as, quote, clean energy, meaning it is produced with minimal emissions, end quote. Minimal. Not zero, but minimal. Similarly, the federal government calls blue hydrogen a low-carbon fuel, not a no-carbon fuel. Globally, jurisdictions are still working to define what counts as clean hydrogen. The Certify project is Europe's first guarantee of origin for low-carbon hydrogen and sets a threshold of 4.37 kilograms of carbon dioxide produced per 1 kilogram of hydrogen produced. Blue hydrogen isn't net zero because carbon capture and storage is not 100% efficient. The Alberta Hydrogen Roadmap shows that hydrogen produced by autothermal reforming with a 91% capture rate would fall under the 4.3 kilogram of carbon dioxide threshold. However, biomass-derived hydrogen and wind-powered electrolysis are the two lowest sources of carbon emission per unit of hydrogen produced. Even if carbon capture and storage was 100% efficient, blue hydrogen could still have issues with emissions from methane leaks. Considering how potent this greenhouse gas is, these leaked emissions could be minimal in weight and still have a huge impact on carbon emissions. Because reducing emissions is costly for blue hydrogen production, setting international standards for how many emissions would still fall under the category of blue hydrogen is critical, or countries and firms are incentivized to produce blue hydrogen with the lowest carbon capture percentages. Blue hydrogen is more than twice as costly as its gray counterpart, meaning it will struggle to compete with gray hydrogen in a purely cost-driven market. 
But if we're talking climate benefits, well, blue hydrogen still has a market problem. If countries are specifically looking for zero carbon hydrogen production, like if they rely on hydrogen to meet their climate goals, the emissions that come with blue hydrogen may not be marketable to them. And countries that do buy blue hydrogen will not be aligned with the global target of net zero by 2050, since we need to consider life cycle emissions, not just emissions created at the time of hydrogen combustion. So while hydrogen might reduce carbon emissions below the fossil fuel sources they replace, they aren't aligned with net zero emission goals that many jurisdictions have committed to. And with the scale of the climate crisis and need for immediate and drastic action, are halfway measures really enough? On top of all of that, new research is finding that hydrogen gas itself has a potent greenhouse effect by increasing the global warming potential of other greenhouse gases. This means that any leaks in hydrogen could actually increase the greenhouse effect. And considering the small size of literally the tiniest atoms, leakages are a major issue. And these leaks could offset the climate benefits that come from replacing fossil fuels. Overall, hydrogen seems like a perfect climate answer. But on closer inspection, its application needs to be carefully considered for its validity to our climate action goals. Blue hydrogen is not a climate solution due to the carbon emissions produced through incomplete carbon capture and storage. While it would be good to reduce carbon dioxide emissions from our current fossil fuel uses, we are running out of time to limit global warming. To keep global average temperature increases to 2 degrees, the world needs to reach net zero by 2050. This target is not compatible with strategies and plans that support blue hydrogen into mid-century. And when it comes to investing in long-term solutions and industries, doesn't it make sense to dedicate resources and funding to true net zero solutions like renewable energy, energy efficiency, and reducing demand? And investing some of our resources on advancing and growing the economic feasibility of green hydrogen by promoting, supporting, and investing in renewable energy grids and electrolysis production using excess carbon-neutral energy to create the green power that can be used for our sectors when renewable electrification is hard to incorporate. And there are efforts underway to push down the costs of green hydrogen with cheaper renewable energy and advancing technology, suggesting that green hydrogen could shortly be more cost-effective than it is now and even at parity with blue or even gray hydrogen, there are opportunities for hydrogen in future energy systems, like supporting renewable energy production 
heating homes, and even in industry. The simple atom could be a part of the effort to create clean energy. But when it comes to hydrogen use, nuance and the color are critical. For hydrogen to have a place in a carbon-neutral future, it needs to be carbon-neutral. That's all the time we have for this week. I've been your host, Sarang Patel. Thanks for listening. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. This episode was written by myself, Sonic Patel, and produced by Hannah Cunningham. You can reach us for questions or comments via email, tara at cjsr.com, or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Terra Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. Catch you next week, right here on Terra Informa. Thank you.